Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. I, I really appreciate those of you that um, had something to say that you felt was from the Lord this morning. Um, it, it all actually seem to flow with the thoughts and prayers that I've been having as I've been preparing to talk with you this morning. By the way, it's, I feel like um, we've been on vacation almost in this sense. Have you ever been away and then it's great to be with guests and people, maybe people are at your house or you're at their house, and, then, and finally everyone goes home and then you're back just with your family? I sort of felt like that because this last month we've had so many guests, you know, we had... Um, Fiona and Jose and their daughters from China, and we had um, Josh from Tennessee with the Thin Places talk. We had Ruben last week, and it's, it's been this fun, and, but now it's us again, and we're home together, and we're um, back to um, having dinner together, eating meat and potatoes, and growing in Christ, and also being trained for mission. I don't know if you think of yourself that way, but I would like you to. Um, you are not an audience if you are followers of Jesus, part of his church, along with what Paul felt to say. You're saved, but you have work to do, and one of my jobs is to be an equipper and a trainer. So sometimes I feel led to just teach instruction about the ways of God, you know, that might be called theology, the study of who God is. And we learn truths that help us in life. And there's also times when it's like we are in the Army, or the Marine Corps would be more appropriate for our area. And we're um, in rifle infantry training school. We're learning how to use the rifle. We have weapons of warfare in the Bible. That is the language. We do some kind of warfare in the spiritual realm. Um, when when Michelle was talking, she was talking about conflict and a battle, and that's really true. So that's some of what we're going to be talking about in this next season. I don't know how long uh, what I'm going to start today is going to last, but I have been praying the last month and more and felt led to teach on the topic of the kingdom of God. And you've heard me mention some of the things that I'll probably be saying uh, on and off, scattered throughout our teachings, you know, all through the year. But I look back in my notes, and the last time that I actually just taught on the kingdom of God, as far as I can tell from my notes and my, and my computer files, was starting in December of 2010. So it's been a long time. Some of these thoughts might be uh, new to some of us then, that are, have, you know, joined this family since then. And some will be reminder it's our understanding, it's the consensus of theologians and scholars around the world at this point that the central message of Jesus is the kingdom of God. He started preaching the kingdom of God. All of his parables basically start out something like this. The kingdom of God is like this. After he was crucified and resurrected, the Bible says he spent 40 days teaching the apostles and the disciples about the kingdom of God. And all through the book of Acts, it's the kingdom of God in action. So there's some truth here that is um, substantial. And there are understandings regarding the kingdom of God that are of the category of what I would call, what many would call a paradigm shift. Do you know that word paradigm? Paradigm shift. I forgot the name of the book. Matt in the sound booth, are you there? What did Thomas Kuhn's, what was his book called? remember the guy that wrote the book about scientific revolutions? The nature of scientific revolution. Maybe. This, this phrase was coined by a guy studying how science works over the centuries. And we as, a, as humans, as a culture, even around the world, but certainly in cities and nations and globally, have ways of understanding what is true, what's real, how things work. And sometimes there's a dramatic shift in that understanding, and it changes everything. Um, think of 
what it was like before scientists discovered the idea of a germ. Right? And they thought disease, they thought the best science back before germs were discovered was that disease and pandemics and epidemics are caused by some kind of misty thing in the air somewhere. And then along came the microscope, and someone discovered there's something called a germ, and it infects you, and it can be passed to the next person. And can you imagine how different medical science would be if we didn't know about germs, right? And cleaning our hands, all that. So that was a paradigm shift. There have been major paradigm shifts theologically. Have any of you ever heard of a man in the 1500s named Martin Luther? Martin Luther, you know. So he was a monk trying desperately to ensure his salvation, trying desperately to achieve righteousness before God. He was a very faithful monk. He did all of the sacraments that the Catholic Church had for him. He worked and worked and could never find peace, that he really had salvation. He heard righteousness of God and hated the phrase because he knew that was the method by which God would have to judge him as being a sinful man. And he didn't understand until one day in his studies as he was preparing to teach the book of Romans, he read Romans 1.17, where it says, the righteous ones, the just, shall live by their faith. And suddenly there was a revelation that the righteousness that God requires is the righteousness that God gives. And he discovered it's not about me working hard enough to be right before God. It's about me putting my faith in Jesus, who's done all the work, so that he gives me his righteousness and I'm saved. His heart burst open, and that word spread around the world. And you today, if you are what people call saved, if you are born again, if you are in the body of Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are in the um, realization that you got saved because of what Jesus did, not because of what you did. And that was a paradigm shift. Now, in the time of Jesus, he shows up. This is Mark chapter 1, verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Change your entire way of thinking. Have a paradigm shift. The kingdom of God is now come, is now near. Now, you've got to know that the guy saying this is, in fact, the king of the kingdom. And I suppose that if I were in the audience and heard, oh, don't put that up yet. I'll get to that. You're ahead of me. <laughs> um, I saw everyone looking at the screens, and I thought, oh, what happened? Jesus says the kingdom of God is here, and he is the king who created the world. He's speaking to a Jewish people who've been expecting a king, and he actually is their king. And I got to think that when his mouth opened and he said those words, if you were in his hearing, there was an authority on his voice an authority in what he said that probably shook you to your core. I'm, I'm speculating, but there are those moments when there's the presence of God in the room, as it were. Daria felt it, she described this morning, where you know I've just come in touch with something beyond the rational view of my, my senses. There's something trans-rational across the rational thinking. There's something spiritual happening here. Jesus comes saying, the kingdom of God has come. Change your entire way of thinking, believe the good news. And just, it's important to know, that maybe we'll, we'll sort of develop this over the coming weeks, but the central message, and this isn't just me saying this, this is consensus of theologians now, after hundreds of years of working through these questions, 
the, the central message of the Bible, and absolutely the central message of Jesus is the kingdom of God. So, and, and most of us would struggle to define even what we mean by that. His disciples certainly did. And Jesus came describing something that none of the prophets of Israel who preached and taught about the day of the Lord and the kingdom of God understood. He had a paradigm shift that we need to get a hold of too. Now, he had a paradigm shift in what he taught, but followers of Jesus for the past many centuries, just like in Martin Luther's day in the 1500s, struggled to understand something. For hundreds of years, people that have been following Christ have been struggling to understand what the kingdom of God means. And in church history and in the study of theology, in the last 100, 150 years, that kind of range, really is come an understanding of what Jesus must have meant. And in just recent years, in the last 40 years or so, um, there's been an application of the meaning of the kingdom of God. And so I'm always interested in application, right? I'm interested in how do you live today based on this truth. Theology is really important, but if all it is talking about kind of scholastic things up here, it doesn't do any good. It does have to get down to the ground level where you live, where you go to work, where you go to school, where you're in your family, where you're dealing with people, has to have application, and the kingdom of God theology does. Okay, so now you can put up that graphic that I called the Old Testament paradigm. So you see this is a picture trying to grab something to understand, that graph on the top. The understanding of the prophets of Israel as Jesus is speaking now, this would be the understanding that's been developed in the first century is what everyone's thinking, what the rabbis are thinking, what the Pharisees, all those people that you hear about as leaders, this is what they're thinking. That we are, that time goes like this. We are in this present evil age and things are wrong. There's oppression. There's injustice. There's sickness. There's disease. And the bad guys seem to be coming out on top. It's called the present evil age. And they knew that there was a day coming. They prophesied it. They heard it from God. There was a day coming called the day of the Lord when God would break into history. There'd be like a line drawn. Everything would change. And this present evil age would end. And there'd be a new age, the age of the kingdom of coming. You see, I have, it's hard to figure out how do you draw this so someone can grab a hold of this. Well, you get this hopefully you get this image in your head. I have the second line up higher. As things have gotten better, things have changed. Because the evil's done away with, the people that were oppressing Israel, because we're talking to Jewish people at this point in, in first century, Jesus speaking. The people are thinking, well, we're under the oppression of the Roman. In the day of the Lord, God's going to overthrow the Romans. And we're going to be back on top, like we were when David was king, you know, a thousand years ago. We're going to be the people of God on top. And the oppressors are be gone. And they've been oppressed now for a long time, the people of Israel, at this time. Or, or, I have this phrase for us. A day is coming, they said, the day of the Lord, when this present age will end and a new age will dawn. The kingdom of God. That's the dynamic rule and reign of God. Where what God wants done is what's done. Just pause. I thought God always gets his way. Well, yes and no. God has chosen in his wisdom to give people the freedom to rebel against him right now. So no, God doesn't want children abused, but he's given humans the freedom to rebel against God and for a season do bad things. His will is not being done when children are abused. That's the work of the kingdom of Satan. That's the work of this present evil age, right? So they knew a day was coming when God would establish his rule and reign. The present evil age would be brought to an end, and the new age would dawn, the age of heaven on earth, right? So that's what they're thinking. That's the teaching. And Jesus comes and says, that day is now. And you can imagine over the next centuries, theologians would read the Bible and go, well, poor Jesus must have been confused about his ministry and his calling. He thought that it was going to happen, but it didn't happen for Jesus. And actually, theologians um, in the last centuries 
taught and wrote that way. And they, they thought, oh, all those things about miracles and stuff, that must have been the disciples after Jesus died kind of rewriting the story to pretty up to make it look better. They were all confused or trying to make a good religion. But then people began to realize, no, actually what they wrote was true, and Jesus wasn't confused at all. He had another understanding. He had a new paradigm of the kingdom of God. Let me just read something from Daniel, Daniel the prophet in the Old Testament, that would be a good example of this kingdom of God, Old Testament thinking. And this is a text that Jesus uses to refer to himself, this and following text in Daniel. But in Daniel, have you ever read the story of Daniel? Remember the four boys in the fiery furnace? That's from the book of Daniel. Daniel is a young man filled with wisdom in exile in Babylon. The nation of Babylon had come from the north, invaded Israel, and taken the best of the best, especially the young aristocratic family members, in exile back to Babylon. And the king had said, you know what? Teach them in the ways of Babylon, and we will have wisdom from them. And we'll teach them to be leaders in our society. So this young man, Daniel's growing up, and he is filled with wisdom. The king, Nebuchadnezzar, you heard that name, Nebuchadnezzar? Has a dream from God. He's torn up. He doesn't understand what the dream is, but he knows he's had a dream from God, and furthermore, he can't remember what he dreamt. Have you ever had that happen? And he calls all of his sorcerers and magicians and wise people and says, you need to explain a dream to me. And they go, okay, we can do that. Just tell us the dream. And he goes, uh-uh, I want to see if you really know what you're doing. you got to tell me what I dreamed, and then you got to tell me what it means. And if you don't do that, I'm going to kill all of you. So the word comes to Daniel, you guys are all going to die. And he goes, whoa, what happened? And the guy says, well, you know, what I just said. And Daniel says, stop. We will pray, and our God will tell us. So he prays with his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They pray, and then Daniel's taken before Nebuchadnezzar, and he tells him, here's what your dream was. Verse 31 of chapter 2 of Daniel. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue is made of pure gold, its chest and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. And I think Nebuchadnezzar's going, that's right, that's what the dream was. How'd you know? You must know the gods. While you were watching, Daniel continues, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were broken to pieces and at the same time became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Nebuchadnezzar's going, yeah, that, that was the dream. That's a scary dream. What does that mean? This was the dream, and now I'll interpret to you, king. You are the king of kings. God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands, he's placed the mankind and beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he's made you rule over them all. You are that head of gold. And Nebuchadnezzar was the leader of the world superpower at the time, if you could call it that, Babylon. Huge nation. After you, another kingdom will rise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom. One of bronze will rule over the earth. Finally, there'll be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so will crush and break all the others. By the way, um, people try to interpret this. After Nebuchadnezzar leading Babylon, they were invaded by the kingdom of the Medes and Persians. And the thinking is, this king was seeing the picture of this next kingdom, the silver shoulders. And after that, the Greek empire arose, bronze. And after that, the Roman empire arose. And at the time of Jesus, the Roman empire is ruling, and it's like iron. But then there's this huge mountain. Where am I? Let's see. 44, in those times, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a new kingdom. Here's that kingdom language. That will never be destroyed, nor will be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and break them 
bring them to an end, but it will self-endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. Could you show that first Old Testament paradigm picture? So they were thinking, the prophets, interpreting this, this text from Daniel and other texts in Isaiah and many more about the day of the Lord, that this day was coming. You see, I have like a lightning bolt. That's like that rock cut without hands that comes and absolutely obliterates all of the other kingdoms and establishes the kingdom of God, the day of the Lord. So Jesus comes and says, the time is now, the kingdom of God is near. Change your thinking and repent. Believe the good news. That's what they're thinking. This has happened. But now, as we read the New Testament, and the words of Jesus, and the teaching of the apostles, from beginning to end, we discover that there's an entirely new paradigm. I'm calling this series Living the Life of the Future Now, or Living the Future Now. How the inbreaking of God's kingdom changes everything. And Jesus begins from this point on to teach and demonstrate a whole new paradigm. His kingdom has come, but not in the way they expected. And it's going to be in a new way. So here's a new, um, here's a new graph. So if you could show the, the kingdom of God paradigm. You see, I have the two lines again, the present evil age and the age to come. And I have a cross kind of on the left. That cross represents Jesus coming with his ministry and his message. That cross represents Jesus going to the cross and dying for our sins and defeating the real king of this earth, Satan. It represents his resurrection. It represents the outpouring of his spirit on all who've come to him at the day of Pentecost that we've read about. It represents Jesus' work, which is an inbreaking of God's kingdom. And what happened that was so hard to understand for centuries, and especially in Jesus' time, but throughout history, this has been a wrestle, has, is now understood pretty much completely around the world of theologians, is that Jesus introduced the idea of two kingdoms overlapping and two ages overlapping. So this present age doesn't end immediately when Jesus comes. And you're thinking, well, what about the rock that destroys all those kingdoms and grinds them to powder and blows them away? Well, it didn't happen that way. But it did happen that way in a spiritual realm because Satan's kingdom was destroyed. But the, this present age, evil, continues on, but the new age has already broken in. So we have an overlap of those two lines. The two ages overlap. The powers of the coming kingdom are breaking in now. Jesus' life, his teaching, and his works all illustrate this over and over and over again. There is a tension, and there is conflict, and there is war, like what Michelle was talking about when she felt she heard something from the Lord today. We live in a time where the future, the good things of the, I should point over here, huh? <laughs> the future's here, the past is here. Where the good things of God's coming kingdom when Jesus returns are already breaking in now before he comes. So if we're in this overlap, and you see then I have a little arrow that says Christ's return. When Jesus comes back, he promised, I'm going away, but I'm going to come back. When Jesus returns and establishes finally the fullness of his kingdom, it will all be consummated, and all evil will be gone and done away with, and Satan will be bound up and thrown into the pit. And he, yeah, it's a good time. But until that time, we live in between the times. And that place where you and I are right now is sometimes confusing, and there's tension and everything about you as a person of God involves the tension of being an already not yet person. You're already saved. 
but you're not yet fully saved. You're already righteous, but you're not yet fully righteous. You're already healed, but sometimes there's sickness. And you'll find as we read through the Gospels, as we read through the book of Acts, as we read through the letters, that this dynamic is addressed and understanding it changes everything about how we live and how we pray and how we worship and how we relate to each other and how we do ministry. If you don't know this, everything that we do in ministry in this context of this church and of the Vineyard Movement is built on the foundation of this understanding. Of the, it's called the mystery of the kingdom. So we'll develop that a little bit more. But let me um, read some more scriptures. Here's, here's an example to help us see that this was already happening in Jesus' time. In Matthew 8.28 is the story where Jesus shows up in the Gadarene district, and there are, depending on which version, which story, Matthew or Luke you're reading, there are either one or two guys who are very demonized. They, um, are, they cut themselves, just like people do today. They're, they're cutting themselves. They are crying out. They're often running around completely naked, like some crazy people do today, perhaps demonized. They actually live in the tombs. They're scary people. Jesus shows up, and it says this, When he arrived at the other side in the region of gatherings, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. Now listen to what these demons knew and saw, because they knew the theology. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? See, they know that their time is coming at the end of time. And they know the end of time isn't here yet. So what's Jesus doing as the king? They understood. Something's wrong. We read the prophecies. A day's coming when the kingdom of God will be established. All the other kingdoms will be wiped out. We'll be put away. We'll be sent into chains in the abyss. Hell's our destiny. We're demons. What are you doing here, son of God? Have you come to destroy us, to torture us, to punish us before the appointed time? And the answer is, you bet I have. And he cast those demons out and set those men free. And what happened there was the kingdom of God broke in and brought war against the kingdom of darkness. And those men were set free that day because the oppressor was removed. When you hear the language of the king coming, the kingdom of God, Jesus saying the kingdom of God is here, it's very much like what you read about in the early part of the Bible, the Exodus, when God says to Moses, I've heard the cries of my people in Egypt, and I'm concerned about them, and I've come to set them free. I, the king, am coming against Pharaoh to set my people free and to break the back of the oppressor. Jesus comes and says, the kingdom of God is here, and over and over he comes in and says, I'm breaking the power of the oppressor, and I'm setting people free. I'm bringing good news to those who are in poverty because of injustice and systems that hurt people and oppress people and um, where rich people over, over, rule over people and take advantage of them. I'm coming against that. I'm coming against people that are um, overcome by the powers of the evil and I'm breaking his power. The kingdom of God has broken in now. You are living in the already presence of the coming kingdom, but not fully. And this tremendously helps us when we do things like pray for the sick. Because in the coming kingdom, there's no sickness and there's no disease. So sometimes the kingdom of God breaks in powerfully and absolute miracles happen. People are set. I've, well, you know my story, most of you. You know my dad's story, though he was dead, still he lives. <laughs> Because the kingdom of God broke in and raised him from the dead. Not even death could win, right? That was an inbreaking of the kingdom of God. But my dad is old and he's going to die someday because the end has not fully come. We live in an overlap. 
Here's another text. How are you doing, by the way? Is this not interesting? I love this stuff. But I see that I've got more scripture than time. So we'll see what I do. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul, in this section, writing to the Corinthians, is explaining to them some things about the end of time and about the ministry of Jesus. He says this, Christ indeed has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. In other words, he's like the beginning of a harvest. He's been raised from the dead. Eventually, everyone who dies will be raised from the dead. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ, the firstfruits, then when comes those who belong to him. Then the end, the final end, will come when he hands over the kingdom to, of God to, the, to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominions, authority, and power. Listen to this sentence. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So he's come, and he's telling the truth when he says the kingdom of God is now here. Repent and believe the good news. But it's not fully here because he must reign until he's destroyed all the enemies. And you and I are living in this time when Christ is reigning until he's destroyed all the enemies. You and I are an army of healers. We are called to bring the healing, saving, delivering, power of God into our world. Because Jesus has made us alive in him. If you put your faith in him, you're alive in him. You've been born again. You're a new creation. He's put his spirit in you. And that's part of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. You have power and authority from God to do battle against the evil one who tries to rob, steal, and destroy lives from people all around us. You have the wisdom of God available to you, but not in fullness. So there's this wrestling and this struggling and this weeping and this praying and sometimes victory and sometimes feeling like defeat. And it goes on and on because there's tension and there's battle. And when you understand this, it will give you faith to keep going. It will give you impetus. It will give you hope. It will give you endurance when, things, when battles in the war are lost. You know, in a war, you can win the war but lose a few battles. And in the kingdom of God, there are times when you will lose a battle. But you're going to win the war. So when you understand this, you keep going. Let's, how are we doing? 11.05, you want a couple more? Or just you, Marty, it's you and me. <laughs> okay, we'll keep going. Oh, you, you said that's quietly. Describing salvation. Salvation is, is written about in terms of an exchange of kingdoms, an exchange of sovereignties. And you might not think of that. Some, some of us think, oh, salvation means my sins are forgiven so I can go to heaven. And there's truth in that, but it's, that's just a small part of it. So much bigger than that. Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion or the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Salvation is a matter of being brought out from under the king of this world, Satan, and brought into the kingdom of the coming age, the kingdom of the Son he loves, the kingdom of Jesus. Salvation is an exchange of sovereignties in whom we have a redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we, we enter into the powers of the coming age while the powers of the evil age continue on. This is described more fully here. Galatians 3. I'm sorry, Galatians 1, verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father. But he doesn't take us out of this present evil age. He rescues us from it while we're still in it. So there is an overlap. In this place, there's tremendous tension. This 
will describe to you, and probably another time we'll get more fully into it, this will describe to you what it's going on when you hear the Bible talk about living in the flesh or living in the spirit. One who is a Christian, rescued from this present evil age, but described as one who's living in the flesh, is one who's tied more fully to this present evil age, and they're in a struggle. One who's in the spirit is one who's living from the present, from the future into the now with the powers of the coming age, and they're living in the spirit. So there's that struggle, right? You hear about that in the Bible. The flesh wars against the spirit. The two are never without conflict. That is descriptive of the kingdom of God. This paradigm shift. The kingdom has come, but not fully. We live in, as one man said, the already and the not yet. The presence of the future. Here's another example. Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew 12, Jesus has just done a kingdom work. He's driven out a demon that's causing a really severe physical condition. There's a man who's blind. Pretty severe to be blind, right? He also is mute. He's unable to speak. Can you imagine the oppression of being both blind and mute? how difficult that man's life was. Jesus comes and recognizes in this particular case that the root cause is actually a demonic force. He drives out the demon. The man sees and speaks. Now, you'd think everyone would be throwing a huge party, but the religious leaders thought there must be something wrong. We don't think too highly of Jesus. He probably did this because he's in league with Satan, the prince of demons. Right? So that's the conflict, that's the conversation in Matthew chapter 12, if you want to read it. It's an interesting conversation. Jesus comes along and says, let me explain it to you. Verse 28, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So there's the picture. The inbreaking of God's rule and authority has just happened. And you'll see this kind of language in Jesus talking about evidence for the reality that the kingdom has come and that he is the Messiah, he is the king, he's the one that was talked about in Daniel and all those other prophecies. Because the evidence is, this demon was driven out, another kingdom has come in and brought warfare and dominion over this other kingdom. The kingdom of God has come. That's why this man can see. That's why this man can speak. Now, uh, if you are praying for someone, you have a prayer that Jesus taught you. Now, many of us think, oh, it's a general prayer. I don't, uh, that's what you do when you're in Catholic Church. Our Father, and art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Blah, 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 blah. And you just say it without thinking. The prayer is, let your kingdom come. How do you drive out a demon? You pray, let your kingdom come now. How do you heal the sick? You pray. God, we need you to break in with your kingdom now before the end. Bring the powers of the future age into our now and set this person free. And you know, I, I look around the room, I know some of you are actually living this life. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Michael, for not asking if I could say your name, but I just said your name, Michael. If you would like to have experience, application on the ground, of seeing the kingdom of God break in, then ask Michael if you can go with him every week into the streets of Oceanside. He, in partnership with um, Convicted for Christ, uh, C4C, you know they did have a sober living house, but they also go in the streets to people often that are addicted to drugs, often that are homeless in oppressed situations, many. And his main thing is not to give them a sandwich, but he does that. His main thing is to bring the kingdom of God. So what does he do? He prays for people. And I don't know this, but I bet he sometimes prays, let the kingdom of God come now. And things dramatically change sometimes. And sometimes they don't. 
But if you pray for a thousand people, you're going to see some kingdom of God breaking in. So anyway, there's an advertisement for you. If you would like to live what I'm reading to you from the Bible, go see Michael and say, could I possibly tag along with you sometime this week when you're going out on the streets? And he'll probably say, yeah, why not? Would you say, yeah, why not, Michael? Would you let him come with you? Absolutely. Wait, the kingdom of God can't come to Walmart. Walmart? You're joking with me. Okay. Let me read a quote to you from a, a theologian who, um, he wouldn't have put the application on this that we are today. But this is a guy who, back somewhere in the 1950s, 60s, was able to come to an understanding that what the Bible says is true and what Jesus said was true, that in fact, the kingdom was already, but it was also delayed. And it's in the future, but it's now. And he, the, the teachings that he began to bring and the, under, the understanding that he began to bring, you know, some 50 years ago are now the consensus around the world. Every theologian, as far as I understand, that's, that's that now studying these things agrees, yes, the way to describe it is the kingdom is already but not yet. This is what Jesus taught and lived. This is where we are. He wrote this in his, oh, I forget which book. It's probably um, The Presence of the Future. The kingdom of God is God in power and exercising his sovereignty for the defeat of Satan and the restoration of human society to its rightful place of willing subservience, that means saying, I submit to you, to the will of God. It is the sovereignty of God in action. The kingdom of God is the sovereignty of God in action to frustrate every enemy which opposes God's will, that is to say, Satan. It is the action of the sovereign God of heaven by which his reign is restored in power to those areas of his creation which he has permitted in rebellion to move outside of the actual acknowledgement of his rule. Was that too many words for you? The kingdom of God then is God's reign, the activity of God's sovereign and kingly authority. I'll end our time with a quote, and then we're going to pray. We'll pray, let your kingdom come, and we'll move into a ministry time. But um, if you're interested, by the way, in learning more of the things I'm teaching you more fully with a, a much more thorough scriptural study, I've got a, a list of books and resources on this topic, which I find really helpful and really important. But this is... Um, a, a guy by the name of Derek Morphew, who was a major theologian in the Vineyard Movement and led the Vineyard Bible Institute and helped write the curriculum. He has a book called Demonstrating the Kingdom, which is a kind of a curriculum in understanding kingdom theology. He says this in that book. And I'm sorry, it's not on the screen for you. The only way we can bring all of this together is to understand that something mysterious, unexpected, especially to the prophets of Israel, and miraculous occurred in Jesus and the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost. The power of the future age broke through from the future into the present, setting up an altogether new dimension. The future kingdom, and for those of you that like theological words, the eschatological kingdom, eschatology, was inaugurated. It was begun, just like when we have a presidential inauguration and their new Presidential administration begins before it really begins at the inauguration. The kingdom of God was inaugurated through Jesus, but is yet to be consummated. Before this age has finally ended, the future age has already begun. Now, you know, when we do ministry time here, we have all of this in mind. So we are praying for people with the hope and the request to God that the powers of the coming age break in now to our present situation. 
those powers involve the presence of someone called the Holy Spirit, who does a couple things. One is to empower us to grow in character, to be like Jesus. Commonly, you hear of the fruits of the Spirit becoming one of love and joy and peace and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Those, all those things are the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer to enable them to become like Jesus for the effect of ministry in our world. When you become like Jesus, you'll do a good job of telling people about him. When I'm not like Jesus, my language doesn't do much good. When I tell people, ah, you got to follow Jesus or you're going to hell, and I'm like living like hell myself, my message doesn't line up with my character, and they don't hear it, right? So one of the works of the Holy Spirit is to empower me to become more and more like Jesus. Another work of the Holy Spirit is to give me gifts of empowerment to do the very things that Jesus did, like casting out demons, like healing the sick, like having prophetic words of knowledge, like having prophetic words of wisdom, like having great faith that comes out of heaven itself so that I believe way beyond my belief. All those things you read about in 1 Corinthians 12, gifts of the Holy Spirit, empower us to do ministry. I just say a lot of words. When we pray for people down front here, we are anticipating that the power of the Holy Spirit is going to enter in and empower us to become more like Jesus and to do the things that Jesus did. By the way, Jesus said, if you believe in me, all these things you've been seeing me do, he said to his disciples and to us, you will do too. You are an army called to do the works of Jesus, to set people free from the oppression of Satan, to help them make their way into the kingdom of God by receiving Jesus as their Lord, the way Trina was saying, as their Lord, not just Savior, as King. By willingly receiving him, and submitting my life to him, I enter his kingdom now, and all of the powers of the coming age are available to me now. You are called to be carriers of that message, and you were called to be carriers of the power that demonstrates that message. There is no other way. <laughs> Thinking of what was that Star Wars show, The Mandalorian, this is the way. This is the way. Let's stand up. We want to pray for people. We have a ministry. We have people that have been had some instruction in, in prayer. They've been praying here. We'd love for you to come down. Um, we'll pray for sick people. If, if you're sick and you want to be healed, we'll ask God to do that. He does that freely and often. Uh, I'm thinking, though, in recent weeks, there have been several of you who have felt and heard a drawing and a calling to step up the, your game, to step into roles of serving as leaders in the body of Christ, meaning um, that there are things that you, are burdens you carry for certain needs, and you say, I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to go into ministry. Some of you have been called to a place where you're going to be making disciples. You're going to be leading people in reading the Bible, in growing in the ways of Jesus. Some of you know that you have that drawing on you. You've talked to me. We want to pray over you and ask God's kingdom to come upon you, to empower you, to more fully step into your role. Listen, the, the people that hear prophetically are declaring over and over and over again that we are at the cusp of a season of what people would call revival, that is, a sudden inbreaking of the kingdom of God that results in masses of people coming into the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus. They're seeing it all over the coast of California right now. In fact, you might want to go see a movie on February 22nd, I think, will be released called The Jesus Revolution, retelling the story of a great breakthrough in the 1970s here in California. In any case, I have a point. There's a sense we are on the cusp of a very mighty outpouring of God's Spirit on our state, and we need to be ready to do the works of the kingdom. We need to be empowered to do the works of the kingdom. You need to learn how to cast out demons. You need to learn how to pray for the sick. You need to learn how to open up the Bible and hear God speak to you. You need to learn how to prophesy. 
You need to learn how to walk in the power of the coming kingdom now. Having said that, after I pray, this sort of an invitational prayer of the kingdom coming, I'd love for those that are feeling that calling to come to the front and we'll lay hands and pray over each other and ask God for his kingdom to come. Got it? Okay, open yourself up to the Lord right now. Because I think he's going to speak to some of you right now. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. And we pray the kingdom prayer. Let your kingdom come upon us right now. Let the kingdom of God come upon us right now. Now, often when there's a prayer like that, some of you will have a very specific experience um, tangibly that something just changed and God is doing something in you that's particular to you that's not general for everybody. Some of you perhaps just now suddenly felt tingling in your hands. That's often a token that God is saying, look at this, I'm giving you healing. I'm giving you the spirit so that you will in faith step out and pray for the sick. Now go do it. If you have right now, your hands just started tingling when I said let your kingdom come, you come to the front and have someone pray over you and bless what just happened. Some of you have a sense in your heart, I am to make disciples. I need to get off my blessed assurance and get to work. Like Paul said, get to work. Come to the front, let's pray over you. Some of you might have just been toying around with God these past years. Listening to worship music, living like Jesus on Sunday at 9.30, living like Satan on Saturday at 7 p.m. And if that's your situation, God loves you. He's not judging you. He's calling you into a new life and saying, stop fooling around with the world. It's going to hurt you. Come into my kingdom and let me bless you. If that's you, we want to pray over you that you'd have power to live for Jesus. You need power to live for Jesus. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Here, Grace Vineyard, as it is in heaven, Lord. We are a people submitted to you. We want to do the works of Jesus. We want to bring the message of Jesus. Empower us now, we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.